into a bonus episode of Decoding Fox News. I am your host, Julia Chesky. Normally, I watch and break down crazy hours of Fox News, but this week I'm focused on just this episode on the seventh day of the January 6th committee hearings. This project is made possible by the Tao Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. I'm a graduate of that program, not a student, and if you don't know me, I have a long history covering the far right, specifically a hate group known as the Proud Boys. So on to the lead. We'll just get right into it. Fox News has decided the best argument against the mounting evidence in the January 6th committee hearings is that it's all meaningless since there's no cross-examination and no opposing, opposing voices. They've also concluded that the riot really wasn't that big of a deal, that Trump and no one close to him will be criminally indicted, and that this is all one big smokescreen to hide the many flaws of President Joe Biden. Fox has a lot of reasons to downplay this investigation, as so far, Fox News has been included as some part of the evidence or testimony in every single day of this proceeding. Now, the hearing on Tuesday was no exception. It was subtle. They didn't show texts from Sean Hannity this time. They didn't show clips from Fox News, but they did include some pre-taped testimony of Fox host and former White House press secretary Kayleigh McEnany, in which she stated that she didn't think the election was stolen and that Trump should concede. The next Fox News uh, reference is subtle because it wasn't directly about Fox The subject that they featured in the in the evidence was mentioned as a big part on Fox News a couple of weeks ago. So on Tucker Carlson tonight, roughly two weeks ago, he had a monologue where he went through a whole list, a litany, as it were, of people he said were being politically persecuted by the Biden administration. And one of the men that he mentioned was Owen Schroyer of InfoWars. Now, in the committee on Tuesday, on the hearing, they went through the whole backstory of how many extremists, including Infowars and propagandists and conspiracy theorists and people with YouTube channels and, you know, people with very large followings on Twitter, were all part of this network to get as many people to this rally on January 6th as possible. Owen Schroyer was one of those people. And the clip that they included as part of the evidence was from an earlier uh, protest where a bunch of extremists went to Washington, got into some fights with police. The Proud Boys got into some trouble that night, I believe. And in the clip, Owen Troyer looks right to the camera and says, see you all in January. And this was before it was well known um, that Trump was going to attempt this on January 6th. So there is a sign here that there was some coordination between the Trump administration and these extremists to get the word out, to get people there, to really hype this up. So, so in this clip, the first half is from the hearing, and the second half is from Tucker Carlson tonight from June 30th. Just the previous night, the co-host of InfoWars issued an ominous warning at a rally alongside Roger Stone and Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio.
On January 19, 2021, a journalist at InfoWars called Owen Schroyer was arrested and charged. Why? Well, according to the federal complaint, Schroyer told the crowd on January 6, quote, Today we march for the Capitol because on this historic January 6, 2021, we have to let our congressmen and women know, and we have to let Mike Pence know that they stole the election, end quote. Now, you may not agree with that, or maybe you do, it doesn't matter. That's protected speech under our Constitution. But under Joe Biden, it's a crime. Now, I implore anyone, if you want to see for yourself, if you want to empower yourself, go ahead and Google Owen Schroer, criminal complaint, January 6th. You can read the whole thing. With as many flaws as our criminal justice system has, one of the positives is it's fairly transparent. So you, the average citizen, can look up a criminal complaint about anyone if you just put their name in, if it's, especially if it's federal, it's really easy. If it's the Department of Justice, you'll get a nice, it's, they're kind of fancy looking, but you can look it up a criminal complaint against just about anybody. You won't be able to see everything involved, but you'll get to see what they're charged with. So on to the actual commentary for day seven. The uh, hearing itself was almost three hours long, clocking in at two hours, 50 minutes. References to Fox News were, direct references were Kaylee McEnany. The duration of commentary all told was 33 minutes. The longest being the recess, which was in the middle of the hearing. And I also included the first news segment of a show that followed immediately after, which was called Your World with Neil Cavito, which is a more legitimate news program. And the reason why I included it is there was no break. They just went straight in. Um, you could tell it was a new show, but there was there was no commercial break. There's no break. It just went straight in. So I went, eh, let's grab it. So on the panel, we have Sandra Smith, John Roberts, Martha McCallum, Jonathan Turley and Anthony McCarthy. The first three are Fox News. Jonathan Turley and Anthony McCarthy are Fox News legal analysts. They're used them all the time. They're very accomplished lawyers. For the Your World with Neil Cavuto, there were three new people. You had Chad Pergram, who's also Fox News, Neil Cavuto, Tom Dupree, a former deputy assistant attorney general. So, typical Fox News. There is a couple things they just never mentioned. One is they never said, you know, Trump needs to just come to terms with the fact that he lost the election. <laughs> Despite witness after witness after witness and overwhelming amounts of evidence, nobody at Fox has yet to say out loud, yeah, Fox lost this, Trump lost this election. Trump lost this election. They just won't say it. At the same time, they also didn't say this election was stolen. So I'll give them that much. <laughs> They're just walking this fine line of just avoiding talking about the most obvious thing, which is what they did. Another thing that they left out is they never mentioned that Trump wanted to seize voting machines. He wanted the military specifically to seize voting machines. And I even triple checked that when I did a word search of the commentary for voting machines, didn't find it. Now the closest they got to just admitting that our former president is a delusional crazy person was Andy McCarthy, who's my favorite legal analyst on Fox News because he's like half the time he says stuff that's completely reasonable and then half the time he goes completely crazy. And this is a reasonable time. He said, there were 61 legal challenges by the Trump administration by President Trump's campaign during the course of the Stop the Steal campaign, challenging election results and they lost 60 times. Okay, so there's some acknowledgement. 
there we go. Some acknowledgement of the evidence that Trump did not win the last election. Now, McCarthy never says that, but just by acknowledging that alone, he's going in a better direction. Now, however, that clip went directly into the next clip I'm going to play you. Directly. There was hardly a breath in between that statement and this statement I'm about to play that's very confusing. What I would point out, though, is the Justice Department has indicted 800 people and defendant after defendant after defendant has gone into district court and tried to shift the blame from himself to President Trump, tried to argue that he was following President Trump's orders, tried to argue that President Trump is a co-conspirator and should be the one who, who should be the most liable or, or deemed to be the most culpable. And time after time, the Justice Department has opposed those motions and the courts have rejected them. Okay, I'm not a lawyer, and if there's any lawyers listening who don't agree with me, that's perfectly fine. Agreed. I'll just say that right now. You are correct, because <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. But I did notice some very specific language in that clip. And he says, most liable, most culpable. And he's talking about Trump when he says most and most. And then he also uses the term co-conspirator. Now, I would assume, based on what I do understand about law, that that's very specific language. When you are Joe Schmo who got arrested for smashing at a window at the Capitol building, and then you go to court and your lawyer tries to argue that Donald J. Trump was your co-conspirator, I could see how you might lose on that one, because that is a bit much. However, that's not saying what would happen if Donald J. Trump had to face trial by himself. To say that he's not at all responsible for what happened would be a bit of a stretch because he was the president of the United States at the time. So it could be reasonable to say that people believed him when he said the election was stolen, believed him that he said that they could help him, that they could stop this. And he pointed right to the Capitol and basically said, go march to the Capitol and I'll come with you. And the language that he used in his speech is, you know, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. And finally, our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. And that's what this is all about. So again, that's just three quotes from a much longer speech with filled with rhetoric like this. So McCarthy might be completely correct that when a very low-level Joe Schmo gets arrested for something minor at the Capitol and they try to say, well, Trump made me do it, it might be difficult to prove that in a court of law, of course. But that doesn't mean that, that Trump doesn't have any responsibility and Trump can't be tried for something. I don't know if he will be or not, but I'm just saying that that doesn't prove anything to me. That just doesn't. And it's a bizarre pivot that he went from they had uh, 60, 61 court challenges, 60 of them lost. And then, oh, but by the way, there were 800. And he, he acts like they're all acting independently on their own and that Trump had no influence over them whatsoever, which is a completely absurd and nobody would believe that for a second. So this next clip is the entire commentary. I went through all of it a few times and reduced it down to two minutes. And this week I did something a little bit different to really um, punch the impact of this. I moved clips around. So I kind of put light clips together so you really, you really get a better sense of what exactly they're repeating throughout this. 
The purpose here seems more persuasive than investigative. They're, the, the case that they're making is that that led the then president, Donald Trump, to tweet, you know, Jan 6, be there, will be wild. That it would be helpful to sort of hear a little bit of, of some cross-examination, which we've talked about a lot. But Again, we don't have the benefit of cross-examination here, so we're going to hear a very one-sided version of events here. The link that I expect them to act like they've made because there's no cross-examination. As you all are saying, it would just be great to have a little bit of cross-examination here. And yes, there are two Republicans who are on this panel, um, but they are like-minded with the rest of the panel. And yeah, and Jonathan, uh, you know, there are more Republicans that are questioning Kevin McCarthy's strategy about taking his cards and, and going home after Nancy Pelosi uh, nixed Jim Banks and Jim Jordan from appearing on the committee. That, that McCarthy should have gone to the deep well that the GOP has and picked another couple so that he could have gotten some more Republican representation on, on this panel. I mean, even President Trump has said he thought that was a mistake. They're members, but by sort of collecting your marbles and going home, you left this a largely uh, one-sided hearing. There are no Republican-appointed members. Uh, this next clip is Martha McCallum, who weirdly looks a lot like Sandra Smith, and they had them on the same program, and that always messes me up, so I'm always having to check their names. They're both absolutely gorgeous women, but I, for whatever reason, they look, they look like sisters, so it always throws me. She's, now, Martha McCallum is very good at her job, and what she does here in this clip is she says something without really saying it, and I will give her kudos. Even if I don't agree with any of her politics, the fact that she's good at what she does, I will call out, because many of the Fox News people are just embarrassingly bad. Here you go. Uh, that it was time to move on. But clearly we know that the, the president did not feel that way. Uh, and he sought out people who would support that uh, notion that he wanted to continue to, to perpetuate. So it's a pretty clear picture. He didn't mm -hmm. want to, he didn't want to take he didn't want that answer, and he still, you know, doesn't like that answer. Uh, he still pushes back at it at every one of these rallies. Now, we know she's talking about uh, his claim that the election was stolen, but she doesn't actually say that. She just says it, and he was looking for that answer. It's like talking about something without talking about something. You know, it, it just makes me think that these two people have been selected by this committee for a purpose, right? So what we're about to hear from them, I imagine, will line up with the purpose of this committee. And that, that and again, that's another great example of what McCallum is really good at. She knows how to explain something without actually saying it, and she knows how to minimize. She's very good at her job. I don't say that about a lot of the Fox people, but McCallum is very good at her job. Now, at this point in the commentary, they were stretching for time because it was supposed to be a 10-minute clip and it turned into a 20-minute section they had to fill. And basically what she just said there is, these people were chosen for a purpose, and we're going to hear that purpose when these people speak. I mean, what is she saying? She's saying nothing. Okay, in the next one, Turley uh, mentions he's talking about the same clip in the speech where Trump says peaceful. They keep bringing this up on Fox. They won't let this go. And in fact, they've edited out material uh, like parts of Trump's mm -hmm. speech that sort of cut the other way. They don't exonerate, but it's that level of editing and framing that I think has actually undermined the hearing. Okay, again, he's talking about uh, patriotically and peacefully, which was one line in a nearly half hour long speech that the Trump people are very angry that they're not including in the January 6th committee hearing. It's one line. 
They've repeated this line on every Fox show that I've surveyed over and over again. They keep bringing it up like, you're not being fair. He said patriotically and peacefully. He said that. He said it once. So they're trying to hang everything they've got onto that one line. And apparently, as we, we learned on day seven of the hearing, that that speech was edited and there was uh, at the last minute and there was a lot of ad libs in it and a lot of things that Trump wasn't supposed to say that he went ahead and said anyway. So, haha, it's a lot going on with that speech. So, in the newsletter, I also include a quote um, by the guest who was on Neil Cavito, and that guest was named Tom Dupree, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General. And he made a clip where he said, uh, We always knew there was a little bit of crazy in the White House, but now we hear that there was a lot of crazy in the days before January 6th with people giving the president just absolutely insane, in my opinion, legal advice. So again, we're taking the uh, pressure off of Trump. We're putting it on to other people. What they're, of course, leaving out is that Trump hunted these people down. If Trump heard something on a crazy website where somebody said Trump uh, was cheated of the election, here's my evidence, Trump would have them at, at the White House. That's basically what happened. It wasn't that they came to Trump. It's that Trump hunted them down and, and invited them into his circle because he just wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. You know, the former CEO of Overstock.com was in the White House. It's great. And nobody knew who he was. He just was there. We all know that, like, Lindell was walking out with, like, crazy lists of, like, overthrow the... I mean, kidding. But I'm not exactly sure what it said, but it was basically, like, declare martial law. <laughs> and we got photographed with, like, a notebook that said that. I mean, that's how crazy things got near the end here. So I'm going to play this last clip. And then talk about what PBS did. And this is, again, Andy McCarthy, my favorite, who, I say that kind of sarcastically, who, who keeps pushing this idea. This is multiple times he's pushed it on Fox News. I'll play it. You'll hear it. You'll understand why it's so crazy. F former federal prosecutor and Fox News contributor. Andy, let me start with you. What, what, what was accomplished here? And what is really the goal? In the end, I think the goal is to show that Trump is unfit for office. And I, I can't help but think, Martha, that this is what we should have seen 17 months ago during the impeachment proceedings. And it doesn't advance a criminal case. If they're trying to show he's unfit, then, you know, Thompson talked about dereliction of duty at the end there. That was exactly the impeachment case that they should have brought but didn't bring. Yeah. Okay, so he's basically saying they should have come up with all of this evidence, a thousand uh, people that they interviewed, thousands and thousands of hours of surveillance footage, tracked down all of these people who broke into the Capitol building, who injured police officers. They should have gone through all of this, found all the connections between Trump and extremists, the pre-planning, and thrown it together in a week before they did the second impeachment. A week. They started the second impeachment a week after January 6th. It lasted for a month, but they started it a week. Now, we all know the Senate was not going to vote for impeachment. That the impeachment was largely ceremonial and that it wouldn't lead to anything. It's not criminal, obviously. But Andy McCarthy <laughs> is scolding this committee, which includes two Republicans for not going back in time and coming to these conclusions all the way back a week 
after the riots at the Capitol. I don't even know. I mean, okay. Go with that, Andy McCarthy. Go with that. Now, he's he's brought that up multiple times, and he says it with a straight face. And I just kind of go, all right, sure. Sure. And then the funniest thing that they did in the commentary, I didn't clip the audio, but I'll just read it to you, was, again, this stalling for time. John Roberts, who also looks a lot like Trace Gallagher, <laughs> they have a lot of lookalikes on Fox News, um, handsome, older gentleman with white hair, very similar facial, facial features. I just, I'm like, what the, uh, John Roberts, he didn't really have a ton to say during this. At one point he did, they're staring at the screen and it's not showing what it's supposed to be showing. They're supposed to be seeing the chairman, Benny Thompson, and, and they're just showing the witnesses. And they say that they go, oh, there's a technical problem. And he just says this. He's totally trying to stretch for time. He goes, but Stephen Ayers, the fellow again on the left, actually was there and could probably speak with greater degree of knowledge of exactly what was being said among those groups leading up to January 6th. And he does it about at that tempo, just desperately trying to stretch time. Um, like, look, there's a man. He's sitting there. I bet later he's going to say something and we will hear it. So that was that was uh, Fox. So PBS handled this very differently. And they also had the exact same obstacle of trying to stretch time as the the moment they thought 10 minutes turned into 20. Now, on the PBS panel, they had Judy Woodruff of PBS, Lisa Desjardins, Laura Baron Lopez. And then for their two experts, they had two actual experts. Mary McCord, she's got quite the title. So I'm just going to say the former assistant attorney general for the national security for the Obama administration. Um, and she is currently with Georgetown University Law Center. Her title is too crazy long, but it's she's a constitutional lawyer. And then the next one, and he was he's also appeared, as has McCord, as part of this series, Jamal Jafar a former associate counsel to President George W. Bush, and he's currently a law professor at George Mason University. So PBS being PBS, they had a Democrat, they had a Republican. Bravo. Um, and it was just complete opposite land. Judy Woodruff immediately goes, Trump knew, uh, all these people kept telling Trump that the election wasn't stolen, Trump didn't care. Um, immediately starts off with that. Trump told his uh, supporters to come to Washington based on a lie. Then Mary McCord had a great quote where she says, Then this decision, after his White House advisors had really gone to the mat to say, You cannot do these crazy things. We cannot steal these voting machines. You've lost the election. You should concede. She's not beating around the bush. And then Woodruff read a list of everyone in the White House, including Kelly McEnany, who told Trump to just go ahead and concede and that the election wasn't stolen. And I love that bit because you could tell that Judy Woodruff herself had kept the list. <laughs> she was like reading it right off paper. Here's the list that I compiled while I was watching the hearing. I was like, bravo, Judy Woodruff. You're doing old school journalism. I love you. Um, it, and that did happen. Okay, and then Lisa Desjardins brought up the fact that white supremacy entered the mix in this day's hearing which she said something else important that I haven't heard them do yet. They are clearly tying all of this to white supremacy. They're talking about racism in this hearing in a way that I haven't heard them do until today. She would be correct. 
Then we move on to my handy little chart that I made of the commentary where I compare language that was used. And my favorite that was very um, unbalanced was a few things. Voting machines, never uttered once on Fox, only said once on PBS, but still, I'll give them that because it was a huge part of the testimony and evidence on day seven. Second, tweet was mentioned far more times on PBS. The phrase lost the election was uttered four times on PBS, zero on Fox. And then Fox, of course, mentioned the terms cross-examination and one-sided repeatedly, whereas PBS never mentioned them. So this is going to be a shorter podcast than usual. Hooray! I'm very excited about that. I always want to keep them shorter when I can. Um, This week I'll be uh, capturing Tucker Carlson tonight and Hannity. It's a little bit less than I normally do because of the January 6th hearing. They just take hours upon hours upon hours to get to this kind of crazy level of, of analysis that I like to do for them. Um, so it, I can't handle my normal schedule, but I am sure that Hannity and Tucker Carlson will give me more than I'd ever wanted in clips. So that's it. That should be back Monday. I don't think I can handle anything else this week. Thank you so much for listening. Odin and Thor send their love as well. Thank you so much. 